I'm Rachel Perkins, and you're listening to the Nordic Nation podcast from Faster Skier. In this episode, we chat with Haley Swerble, who, at just 24 years old, has been at the top of the sport for quite some time. A bronze medal in the 4x3K relay in the 2017 World Junior Ski Championships in Soldier Hollow put Haley and relay teammates Julia Kern, Hannah Alverson, and Catherine Ogden on the map in a big way in U.S. skiing. Haley has since gone on to spend the better part of four years racing on the World Cup, earning 48 World Cup starts and one podium in the 10K skate in Davos in 2020. She's currently preparing for the upcoming World Championships in Planitza, Slovenia, which starts on February 22nd. Following last year's Beijing Olympics, Haley opened up about the contrast in expectation versus reality in the Olympic experience and how the high-stress, high-pressure environment of life in Europe, particularly in the lead-up to the Olympics, negatively impacted her mental health and felt increasingly unsustainable. She questioned whether she wanted to keep skiing at all, but eventually decided to keep at it with a new approach. She took a full-time engineering job in the summer in Anchorage and decided to forego period one and two on the World Cup, racing the U.S. Super Tour and U.S. Nationals domestically instead. As we discussed, this approach has rejuvenated her love for sport and her motivation for the training and sacrifices it requires. And it's contributed to an outstanding season of racing, both domestically and internationally. Before we start, here's a quick note from this episode's sponsor, Concept2. Concept2 is the designer and manufacturer of the Ski Erg, a training tool for Nordic skiing and for general fitness. Located in north central Vermont, the Concept2 family rose in the summer and skis in the winter. The Ski Erg grew out of the time-tested design of the Concept2 rowing machine. As dedicated skiers, we know this much is true. It's not always easy to get out on snow in the winter or out on roller skis, for that matter, in the summer. The Ski Erg is a perfect dryland training option for skiers or anyone looking to improve their fitness. The second generation Ski Erg allows for single stick and double pulling. Take your skiing and upper body conditioning to a new level with a Ski Erg. So first, how are you? Where are you? And can you kind of paint paint the scene a little bit as far as like, are you in a team house? What's going on? What's just like, what's happening right now for you? Yeah, um, I am doing well. Thank you for asking. Uh, World Champs is just a couple days away here, so we're really coming in on it. I am staying, we are all in a big team house in Obertiliak, Austria, which is, I think it's an hour or two from Planitza, from where World Champs is going to be. So yeah, we're all in this big house. Everyone has space and there's a lot of social areas, which has been really fun and a very like different environment than last year before the Olympics, pressure-wise for me. So uh it feels like a good environment so far here yeah we have an awesome chef with us like we had our truck here so it's it's been pretty sweet and how are you feeling heading into those races and what can you share in terms of just what starts you know you have and and that kind of thing yeah I I'm I'm excited for world champs actually this year I think going to the Olympics last year, the build up to that was so torturous almost. Like I felt so much pressure and so much anxiety and stress around getting sick or getting teammates sick or even just the the new experience of navigating going to China and um, 
the pressure of an Olympic event. So I think going to world champs this year comparatively feels like a little bit of a time to take a deep breath and try to really enjoy what's happening around me and really live in the present moment. And I'm, I'm hoping to carry a lot of that with me through the championship. Uh, as far as starts go, I am going to be starting the classic sprint. Uh, of course, this all could be turned upside down if I got sick or um, something else injured, something else happened. But I, um, I do know that I have a start for the classic sprint at this point. Um, I think I will be starting the skiathlon and the 30k is also on the docket later in the week that that of course really depends on how earlier in the week goes um the big question is the relay i i'd really love to be part of that team but that's going to depend on how the racing goes for for all of us during the week too and i probably should have looked at this but how many world championships have you is this your first world championship were you in 2021 what I was okay. there. Yeah, this is my second one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So thinking about kind of the evolution of the last couple of years, just in like championship events then, right? You had like 2021 kind of like really peak COVID everywhere. And then <laughs> in terms of restrictions and like the stress of that. And then obviously the Olympics, like super stressful, getting in and out of China, new place, like all those layers. And then this year maybe restrictions are seems like a lot lower right in terms of how you guys are handling like the house situation um you've got a chef like all these different like what what are the biggest contrasts for you between like the last couple championship years and this year just like in the immediate like kind of atmosphere sense of just like what you're feeling what you're experiencing in that way Totally. It's, it feels like a huge shift to me compared to what it's been the last two championship events. Uh, it definitely, it's almost, it's almost like my brain's gotten used to being the way that it has been since COVID started. It feels like we've all been in this for so long that it's almost hard to switch out of that and actually like let my walls down and understand that you can't control everything and you can't avoid getting sick in every moment you want to. And, um, but it's been really awesome to be able to have those moments to kind of release. I think we've been under so much more stress than we realize. Like I know the team had, I, I think everyone in society in many ways, especially endurance athletes who are really depending on not like they're depending on their lungs, you know? So I think that it's a really sensitive topic and sensitive issue to get an illness like COVID during a championship event or before. Um, but I think that for me, like the, my mental health is the best that it's been for sure over the last couple of years, championship event or not. And I think that that's just really, really helpful and really important for just life, you know? So, um, yeah, I think, I think having the less strict, shut down COVID rules and being able to interact with other teammates. And, um, of course we're being careful and we're not trying to go and get sick right now, but I do think that having a little bit of normalcy is really important for performance and just health overall for us. And 
kind of going back or digging in a little bit more on the Olympics, um, you've been pretty open in terms of just like how hard that experience was was for you, kind of in addition to the fact that it was a huge accomplishment, right? And um, just the difficulty of being in the, that environment and maybe like expectation versus reality of what the Olympic experience was, um, including kind of just how you were feeling while you were there. And now that you're a year out, like has anything that you, your perceptions of that, like has anything changed or how you think about that versus like acutely right after the Olympics? Like what, what kind of shifts do you think you have felt over the last year in thinking about the Olympics? That's a really good question. I do, I definitely do still, like, it still feels almost like the word trauma is so intense and sounds, like, so big, but my initial feelings toward it looking back are stressful (laughs) and uh, not really all that positive. Like, it was, it was a really tough experience for me, and I think especially comparing it to something like the buildup of this World Championships and how this season has felt for me, I'm even more confident knowing that like, okay, that wasn't how I expected it to be or that wasn't necessarily a sustainable thing or how every Olympics seems to go in the past. So, of course, like the really acute moments that were hard have faded and and tamed themselves a little bit and I, I see a lot of positives looking back as well. But I wouldn't want to go back. I definitely wouldn't want to go back, so... That's kind of, I think, where I'm at. Yeah. Better place now. And I can't remember if this was like a, a blog post or Instagram, but I have this quote that I pulled where you said, that I feel guilty for admitting that obvious that when obviously the Olympics is something that so many people would die to experience, so many of my peers are disappointed not to have made the Olympic team or to have made the team but not received starts. I had both of these blessings come true, but still feel quite empty throughout the whole thing. Um. And you've, it seems like you've really opened up a lot over the last year and even kind of like made a point to share that side of the job and the experience um, versus just kind of like, here we are, we're traveling the world, we have bluebird days and beautiful towns and everything is like dreamy and perfect. Um, but also the side of like the World Cup is like a really high pressure environment and your job is to perform and it's very like performance centric and there's a lot about the World Cup that's probably really challenging. Um, and I think it's so I, – I think it's awesome that more and more athletes are kind of showing both sides of it and not, not just this, like, one idealistic side. And I'm definitely a person who, who is sort of, like, more in the both and versus either or mindset. Um, like, you can be really grateful for what your experiences are and you can be struggling versus, like, one or the other. Um, but I want to ask a little bit about like the vulnerability of kind of opening up about some of these things, because I think there's a lot of people that maybe would jump to that either or reaction to it, right? Like, oh my gosh, she's complaining about the Olympics. Like this is like, so, and so I'm curious, like what you're like, when you're choosing to share some of those things, like, has it felt scary to be opened up to that? Like you're, you're kind of vulnerable and you're opening up to like judgment, um, from people who don't walk in the same shoes. Right. But what has that been like in terms of just like putting yourself out there to receive criticism, um, from some of these, these people versus support and just, yeah. What have, what have your feelings been about kind of that vulnerability side of sharing some of this stuff? 
so many topics there that I could talk for hours about. Um, but yeah, thanks for bringing that up. It It's definitely scare, I think, to talk about things that some people might not want to hear or might not want to believe. I think what gives me the strength and the, I don't know, the reason to post something that might be vulnerable or might not be what the general public that's seeing my posts or blogs wants to see is uh, I just kind of think about like what what would have made a difference for me coming up the ranks like what would I what did I wish I would have seen and I wish I could have seen and understood that it's still a job like it's still hard and every single job in the world has parts of it that that you're not gonna like and um, parts of it that are really hard so I think I wish I had understood that instead of almost take all the information that I had been given and through various outlets and resources, social media or presentations or just talking with people, a lot of that, a lot of all I saw was the positive smiling sitting in the sun were just like the greatest happy family living the dream. And there are moments of that, of course, and it's amazing, but there's also a lot of pressure, a lot of hard work, a lot of isolation, um, a lot of environment changes. So I think that it would not have discouraged me from wanting to chase this dream had I known all those things. It may have just given me a little bit more of a realistic understanding of what I was going into. So I think, I hope that even if one person from the next generation sees something I've posted or something that's I've talked about that that I wish I had known. I hope that they can take that information and and grow from it and adapt better to what they're actually walking into. Because it, it is amazing, but there are definitely challenges that, that I don't think really get acknowledged so much in the, the social media world that most people see. Yeah. In kind of a similar vein, um, I was just listening to a, a conversation that Kara Goucher and Des Linden were having on their podcast. Um, Nobody Asked Us is the name of their podcast. And it was they were talking about the evolution of being a professional athlete and how kind of initially maybe what you're saying, like you have this one idea of what that means, like what a professional athlete means. And it's probably very idealistic. And also the pursuit of that initially, like when you're young, it's kind of just about like you and your own like personal goals. Like I love skiing. I'm good at this. Like I'm going to try to make junior nationals. I'm going to try to podium at junior nationals. And these like very personalized things where really the experience is sort of kind of in a little bubble that's just around you. And then at some point along the line, there's like a jump that happens where there's like the professionalization is less about like how good you are at your sport and more like this bigger picture of what's around you. Like maybe there's more expectations on you know, doing interviews and things like that, where there's like how you carry yourself or what, what, how you present yourself, maybe it matters differently than when you're like a U18 skier or something like that. Um, what your social, what you do on social media matters more because maybe there's like sponsor obligations and things like that. And it becomes like a lot more of a job than just the training and racing and what you do as like you're in your own performance. Um, does that, resonate with you and like where do you think some of those transition points happened in your career oh totally I 100% resonate with that I actually think about that quite a lot because 
I almost feel like I'm actually still in the weird like in between zone between doing this because I'm chasing a dream and it because it's fun and doing this because it's a job and I think that being on the world cup and being away from home and loved ones for this many months at a time works for two kinds of people it works for people who are chasing that dream and still wanting to achieve that goal or to qualify for a world cup or to get their first world cup points or get x amount of fist points to make the team um and I think it also works for people who are actually like making a living at this because you can. Um, so I think I, I, I've definitely been reflecting a lot about that actually lately and kind of figuring out where those transitions have um, gone or have occurred because I think that I've, I'm part of a generation with a couple of the other women my age um, that we were almost like in a very new environment going through the U.S. ski team pipeline where instead of living this dream world and chasing things that had never been achieved before and trying to make a name for ourselves as the United States over here in Europe we almost were brought up in the environment of like okay so we can do this now so now we have to keep doing this and so it, it became less about chasing a dream and seeing what we could do and more about performing up to the standard that we are almost expected to as a job. Um, I think a lot about that. I don't have a solid answer about why many of the women, especially in my age group and a couple of the men too, are, you know, have had difficult times, like really struggling with burnout or wanting to retire at a younger age than we've seen in the past. Um, yeah, a little bit off topic there, but I think that's all related to just kind of thinking about that transition about, you know, chasing the dream when you're in your little bubble as a kid, it's slowly getting better. And then all of a sudden you look, you look up and you're like, whoa, there's actually kind of a lot of pressure on me right now to do well here on the World Cup, or it feels like it at least, whether there is or isn't externally. Uh, it just kind of happens gradually, I think. And do you think like in where that, um, just like when some of those expectations or like, here's what you did now keep doing it. Like, do you think that's sort of like, um, like junior world juniors when you guys like the relay medal, um, like where do you think some of the, what were maybe some of the results that you identify of like, okay, that was like a breakthrough for the U S or for me. And then that's maybe where the bar is now. Like, do you have any of those race moments or like yeah. results that you think, that sort of like set the bar and then now, okay, what's next sort of thing versus like, wow, you yeah. did something that no one's ever done before. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think actually it almost occurred at, at all the levels of skiing at once. So like when I was a junior racing, like my last couple of years as, at junior worlds and doing really well. And we earned that first relay medal, which was like amazing at the same time, Keegan and Jesse are getting a gold medal at the Olympics. So I think all of a sudden, like the, it wasn't all of a sudden, but it almost seemed all of a sudden where it's like, we've been building up to making a name for ourselves and some of the people on the World Cup are getting medals here and there. All of a sudden it seemed like it was like a lot more consistent and like we have a wax truck all of a sudden, you know, we, we're here, we're showing up and we're ready to fight and we know our worth and we're not, 
here to just play around and have fun anymore. <clears throat> of course, we're trying to have fun along the way because <laughs> it's a it's a cool job. But uh, yeah, I almost think that all happened at a similar time. And I think that my generation was actually like the first generation to step up, make the transition from junior racing to World Cup racing with that pressure on us, like knowing that we had achieved things ourselves that hadn't been achieved in our country before. And also knowing that like the bar on the World Cup is now up is quite high. Where at one point getting 55th was totally cool because we got to race in the World Cup and had enough women to make a relay team at all type of thing. So uh, yeah, I think that's kind of how I see it is it almost happened in an avalanche in a way. Yeah. And um, I also want to talk about Team USA week. So that was, I think, sometime in the spring. And um, afterwards, you sort of posted that that had filled some of the void of some of the aspects that you thought the Olympic experience would, would like, check the box of or fill, provide. Um, and can you start with maybe just, like, some of the basics? Like, what is Team USA week? Where were you guys? How did that all work? But then what did you mean by that aspect of just like, how did it fill the void of what you thought the Olympics might be? Yeah. Uh, so Team USA Week is a week in early May where they invite all the Olympians from the last Olympic cycle to come to uh, Washington, D.C. And you get to go to the White House and see the president. And there's a lot of networking events and dinners and um yeah there's a lot of activities you can do but basically uh well so what was really cool is they actually had the winter and summer athletes all together from the last cycle because COVID had moved that summer olympics so they were only six months apart as we all know last season so uh yeah I think that the void that that really filled for me was getting to meet other people from other teams and other sports and getting to be social even with my own teammates. It was kind of fun. It almost felt like a celebration of the accomplishment that we had all earned and had the opportunity to get through a really stressful thing all together. It was really cool to talk with people from different sports and just get to know them as people more than just as names on a paper. I think that's something that the Olympics really lacked that I had kind of expected and hoped would be the case to go to my first Olympics. I think growing up, we always hear like, Olympics, like it's a big party and you know, and of course we're there to Nordic race and our races last the entire span of the event. So we're not there at a party, but I do think that it felt like it really missed any any sense of like uniting to me and that's what I want the Olympics to be about that's what it represents to me is like the whole world is coming together for this one event like in a peaceful non-violent way like let's just race let's compete and and you get to make friends and and celebrate the accomplishment and the hard work that you've put in to get there so Team USA Week I think allowed me to feel that way a little bit and I got to spend some time with awesome teammates and meet new friends too. So maybe that kind of brings us to this season, um, which you've kind of approached quite a bit differently than other years. Um, and it's sort of just like, I think coming out of last year, 
you had starts for period one and that would have been like the normal course of action for somebody in your position would be go beyond the World Cup from November to late March, like stay in Europe all winter. Is that correct? Like kind of just like where your standing was at least? I, I think so. I think that that's the expectation. Yeah. yeah. And so when did the wheels start turning in terms of just like approaching this year differently? Like when did you start feeling like that was something that was needed? And then what did those conversations look like? Like were you trying to make that decision with your coaches, with your family, like with teammates, with like a therapist? Like who are the people who are involved with kind of helping you wrap your head around that and make some of those decisions on what to do for the next next steps? I, I think my wheels started turning actually at the beginning of the World Cup year, season last year. It's period one is quite uh, dark <laughs> and cold and a little bit difficult. And on top of the Olympic stress, like last season as a whole was just like pretty, pretty tough for me, I thought. I think the compounded COVID plus Olympic stress just really took a lot of uh, joy out of it for me. Um, so I had actually like, I had applied for the job I ended up working last summer. I had applied in January. So I kind of already had thought that I might postpone the start to my World Cup season this year, even then. I think I, over the past, the previous couple of seasons, being on the World Cup more or less full time, like, that started to really not feel sustainable to me. I think it was really hard to be almost like thrown into the deep end as like a 20, whatever, 20 year old. Um, and just kind of been expected to like sink or swim. And uh, there is a lot of swimming, but also a lot of little sinking in between. And it's just a, a tough environment to like totally adapt it for my nervous system. So, um, yeah. So with that decision, I, I think I knew in my gut that I needed to change something or I, I, yeah, I, I was really, you know, going back and forth about like why I'm doing this and what I want to get out of skiing and how much longer I want to ski. And I think being at the Olympics really confirmed that I, I did want to ski another year and really try and experiment to do it my way and see if I could fall in love with it again. I, uh, I don't know if I really talked to too many people to figure out or to decide that I wanted to not go to period one. I talked with my coach, Eric, up at APU, of course, and he's a very supportive and amazing human. So he was, of course, on board with helping me figure that out. And, um, of course, I'd talked to family and friends and therapists about all sorts of things. And I think in the end, I, it just felt right in my heart to put myself in an environment that felt really safe and signaled safety to my nervous system and, and try to figure out how to really love skiing again. When did you graduate from APU? Was that this past spring or the year prior? Yeah, yeah so it was UAA. Oh, right. Uh, I graduated, yeah, yeah, but I ski for it. It's all confusing, yeah. <laughs> all the universities. But yeah, I graduated from UAA in December 2021. Okay. So just a few months before the Olympics. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you started working this summer. Were you working 
full-time and can you talk a little bit about just like what did summer look like and how was it how was training and your ability to kind of like fit training in with everything else how was that different from years past this summer I really I really approached this year as an experiment as I kind of said to to prioritize my mental health and also see if I could find a way to make skiing the way that I want to make it um so yeah, I, I was working full time this summer. I was working as a um, an engineering assistant with the state of Alaska for the Alaska State Parks. So it was kind of like a, a dream engineering job I'd really wanted to work for and they, they were able to be flexible with me and my schedule. Um, I did work full time and that was not necessarily by like because I had to or they wouldn't hire me, but because I I wanted to. And I really needed a solid break from the constant stress and expectation that I put on myself to do training absolutely perfectly every day. I think I've been dealing with like a little bit of just like burnout over the last couple of years and it all just came to a head with the Olympic cycle and I was just cooked. Like I, 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 Honestly, like I was ready to be done skiing for a little bit there. So the deal I made with myself was like, I'm going to not be done skiing, but I'm going to do it my way. Um, I worked full time until August. So during all that work, of course, like I think the most amazing thing is that I did lose fitness and I lost strength and I wasn't doing intervals, but I gained this sense of like appreciation for exercising more than I ever had and I realized like wow it feels so good to move so on my lunch break I would get to go on a run or I would go to the run to the little outdoor playground gym a couple miles away and do a little quick strength session there because I wanted to feel like I could pick up heavy boxes again and I was like whoa okay it was almost like a mini trial at at the real world and like how important exercise is for my mental health and for feeling good as a human for me every day so that's kind of how I approached it I on the weekends I would go and do back-to-back like eight-hour days of hiking in the mountains really because that's what made me feel fulfilled and that's what felt amazing to me I stayed off the roller skis for a long time because grinding on the pavement wasn't really filling up my heart and um eventually come August I felt like I was ready to rejoin structured training so then I started working part-time between training sessions and eventually that became a little too much to manage and and I uh postponed or put a pin in work for the year and started focusing on full-time training again but yeah it was I don't know it was really cool my one thing I really noticed is how my body changed and I did lose muscle and I did like I had a softer stomach and you know arms that didn't feel strong and I was using my legs a lot because I was just biking and running all like any chance I could because it was really fun so I think I maintained strength there but I felt like I'd look in the mirror and I loved my body more than I ever have it was crazy and I think I was able to see it as something that I could appreciate for taking me into the mountains on the weekends or after work instead of this thing that was never good enough 
and never what I wanted it to look like or to to act like with my training and racing so I think that alone was just like maybe the biggest takeaway I had is like wow my our bodies are so amazing and I just I just wanted to to love it and appreciate it for all that it's done for me do you feel like you <laughs> no that's good do you feel like you've been able to maintain that like has that feeling and like that appreciation like have now that you're back in the world cup environment you're getting ready for the world championship like have you been able to kind of like maintain that feeling and like that joy and appreciation for your body and what it's what it's doing I honestly have I I think of course it's a lot I'm around like the the fittest strongest women in the world in many ways so of course there's moments where I'm like wow my I'm just not as strong as they are you know but I think as a whole I'm able to like appreciate and love and just like compare my body less to other people um and it's just like taking a weight off my shoulders of of this essence of perfectionism and I think that that's also what this summer taught me is I don't know I read this I read this post um the other day that talked about like as a former quote gifted kid like you know the kids that go in the gifted classes in school or whatever type of thing which I think a lot of Nordic skiers um a lot of personalities that are, are are that way are super perfectionist like really thrive in like a Nordic skiing endurance sport environment and what this post said is that one of the hardest things for this quote former gifted kid was learning that doing something part way doing something poorly was still better than not doing something at all and I think that's also what this summer taught me is that I've been so focused on well if I if I can't like I have to do these intervals perfectly or else it's not even worth my time and I think this showed me and really like reinforced that even if I can only do 30 minutes of threshold or even if I don't have time to do a full hour run and only have time for a half hour run, that's still worth it. Like it's still always better to do the thing and do it less than perfectly than to not do it at all. So that is, I think also how my approach to like how my, how my body has felt to me. I think I've been able to carry that over. And uh, yeah, I think I've been working on that for a couple years through therapy and just awareness and, learning and it's finally you know rewiring my brain a little bit for that to make sense yeah it's maybe unrelated but I know someone we actually might know the same person but I won't name names here but the a person who kind of like struggled with addiction like in the more classical sense of like drug and alcohol abuse and they said that um the I think they didn't think they didn't really feel like they were fully healed and fully sober until they could do that without exercise to the level that they had been used to. And I almost Mm. like feel like the same, like with, you know, body image and eating disorders and and perfectionism and all these things, there's so, there's so many, so much crossover with the mindset of addiction and like that just like drive for perfectionism. And it's resonating with what you're saying of like, when I had to kind of let go of like, I'm doing this as my job. It needs to be perfect. I need to do it exactly this way. It's like everything is, all the pieces are in place. When you were able to let go of that, then all of a sudden you were somehow also able to heal some of these other 
aspects of like mental health challenges that yeah you had been sort of like mitigating or managing but not fully healing from and that's awesome that's like a huge gift (laughs) um thanks and I I also want to ask about something we talked about when we crossed paths whenever that was um skiing and you uh graciously pulled my chariot (laughs) for a little while so that I didn't have to (laughs) um the cost kind of like the cost of doing things your own way so like there's like, yes, this scenario of kind of like a hybrid model where you spend the fall or the early season racing domestically, race U.S. nationals, um, then come to the World Cup. Like, that is really great for you personally, but it's also maybe more challenging to sustain from, like, the financial perspective, right? Like, there's kind of the opportunity cost of missing out on certain teams or starts potentially, but also just the challenge, like, financially of supporting a hybrid model, which maybe is something that resonates with like a, a bubble athlete to some extent. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? Like it, what were some of the risks that you felt you were taking maybe in terms of just that ability to kind of like fund the career or maybe the opportunity cost of like, well, I might not make world championships and am I okay with taking that risk? Like what were some of the major risks that you felt like you were accepting by doing a more hybrid approach? It's a, a really a really good thing to consider, and I did weigh a lot of the risks for sure. I definitely knew that doing the training model through the summer or lack thereof was a huge risk for. I had no idea how my season would go. I had I, I had no idea if I would be racing well or not, or if my years of training from the past fifteen years might carry me through a little bit. Um, I did have to make that decision that like before I decided to to kind of follow my own path there and, and work full-time, I did decide, will I have regret if I don't make world championships or if I don't race well? And um, in the end, I decided that, like, it was no, me- sacrificing my mental health and my nervous system state of being up in the green zone where I'm functioning and doing well and overall happy and whole uh, is never worth a race result to me. And I, I did make that choice. Of course, had the situation been different where I'd had a really horrible race season, like I probably would be feeling a little bit of a FOMO and I would be feeling like I'm missing out right now. But I think with the information that I had at that time making this decision, I wouldn't have, I couldn't regret that no matter what, because that's the information I had at that time. And that's the best decision that I could make for myself with the information in front of me. Um, I do think that financially is, is quite a bit of a different situation almost because racing domestically, uh, racing internationally, because I'm on the B team right now, I'm getting, I'm funded. So I'm getting flights paid for in Europe. I'm getting lodging and food and, and everything paid for. Of course, I'm not making like a salary by doing that in addition to that, but all my living expenses aren't paid for during that time. Racing in the U.S., suddenly I, um, though my team is like amazing and supportive, like we do all our own fundraising and depending on the year, you you know, you pay for your own flights or you have to split costs in other ways. Um, so yeah, suddenly I was, you know, paying for my 
flights or paying for my entry fees to races again. And, and that's something I haven't really had to consider and think about the last couple of seasons because I've been on a funded US ski team racing primarily in Europe. Um, I do, it's hard. It's really hard to, to do something and to invest so much in something and also be paying your way to do that thing. It really gave me a lot of perspective on, on many of the athletes that are paying their way even to come to Europe. I wish, if there's one thing I wish could change in the ski world, I wish that everyone could, of course, that's never realistic, but it's my dream, you know, that everyone who's competing at um, the high level could could be funded because it's it makes it really tough. And it really, I think, eliminates some people either at an early age when they're juniors and trying to afford racing or later on, like it, it eliminates some people that could be really incredible skiers. But I do think still that that risk, even with the financial, that was, that was still worth it to me because I, as, like I said, like I was, I was almost ready. I was ready to be done if I had to do the same thing I had done before. So I had to, I had to find peace with skiing again. Maybe getting into like, more of the lighthearted, like easy parts of this conversation. Um, You're also (laughs) racing really well this year. Um, Like you had, you know, almost every early season super tour, you're on the podium, you swept all the races at US Nationals, which I think puts you in kind of a very exclusive club with maybe only Rosie Brennan and Caitlin Patterson might be the only other two, at least women who have done that. Um, So can you talk through just some of your highlights of racing domestically this year and um, maybe kind of revisit Houghton and talk a little bit about how were you feeling? What were some of the races that were like some of the challenges maybe, or what, which races maybe were most challenging? Where did you feel your best? Like that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I think, I think some of my, I think my highlights were, uh, the early season super tours in Silver Star and in Sun Valley because I just I just love the vitality and the vibe of those events. I get to look around and I see I see really high level racers um competing in the super tour races and then an hour later I see 14 year olds like hammering on the same course and their parents screaming and everyone's like you know, going all over the place. And I was like, wow, that's, that's what it's about for me. Like, it's about this community. And that, that was the highlight more than anything else. Seriously, what, what I'll remember forever and the feeling that I take of so much positivity from this experience is I just felt so supported and accepted and, um, believed in by the people that, that I, that are important to me in that environment and uh, I think being able to you know in Sun Valley look next door and see see one of my favorite coaches from Opa Trips um John Filardo <laughs> he's cooking up a hamburger and some bacon you know right there in the middle of waxing for his athlete skis and he's like you want some bacon swerve and I said sure I'd love some bacon <laughs> I just think like I do think that races are important but I think racing in the domestic circuit, especially surrounded when junior teams are invited to those kind of races, like it really just like 
brings it all together for me. And I'm like, that's what I fell in love with. I just loved the fun parts and the energy and everyone coming together to talk about how their race went afterwards and skiing with people from different teams to talk about that or uh, talk about your boyfriend or I don't know, whatever. I, I think that that kind of environment um, was really fun and rewarding. And I also think being able to travel with my team, um, right now our APU team is very young, so I was one suddenly one of the older athletes, and that was a completely new experience for me as well. Um, I think going into Houghton, I did I, I did feel actually more pressure than I expected, even because of it was a it's a domestic event, but it's a national championship, and I had been doing really well leading up to that, so. I think I put a lot of pressure on myself to continue to do well or I, I fear judgment or whatever. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I've, I really like Houghton. I've been there quite a few times. It was my fourth nationals there actually and um, my second one being there with APU. And I think it was just like an amazing experience the entire period one plus nationals was such an amazing experience for my development, honestly, because I think going into um, the World Cup at a young age, like I'm learning things all the time, but I get to do one sprint qualifier and one one quarterfinal if I'm lucky uh, and make the heats when I'm over here most of the time. So being able to be on like the Super Tour, for example, I was finally for the first time really ever able to play with how does strategy work or what happens if I make a move here versus here? How can I sneak around them on this twisty course? Like those were skills that I haven't been able to practice in four years and really hone. And I mean, I would love to practice that a ton more if I had the chance, but that was what was really cool about races like Houghton and period one for me is having really strong skiers uh, right there competing against me and also getting to, to go head to head with them and, and, learn things you know yeah um at this point you're still kind of in the the middle of your season in some ways or or two-thirds of the way through the season are you starting to think about next year at all and or like are you kind of like I just need to like live in the moment for now and then in in March start thinking about those things and if you are, like, what are some of the things you feel like you've learned from this experience this year that you want to preserve and carry forward into next year? Yeah, I definitely am. I'm trying to really live in, in the present moment before deciding what I want to do next year. Uh, I think there's a lot of things on the table at this point and a lot of things in life that I'm excited about in skiing and beyond. Um, but what I do know is that, like, I want to be part of this ski community for the rest of my life because it is just incredible. Yeah. Cool. I have two other questions for you, if that works. Um, one is just, is there anybody you want to give a shout out to who maybe is sort of like behind the scenes, helping you out, making things happen? Oh, I feel like there's a lot of people. I think, um, my therapist is amazing and she's really helped guide me through times of intense pressure and intense stress and how to try to be the best version of a human being I can before trying to be the best version of a skier that I can. 
it's been huge. I think my family's been there, you know, through thick and thin and um, talked me off some cliffs when I'm having a really rough day and, and wanting to, you know, go home or not stick it out or whatever. And I think like my, my coach, Eric Flora, of course, has just like believed in me since day one for during times where I don't even think I deserved it. And he's just been such a, a huge and helpful mentor. And it's been amazing to have my boyfriend to provide stability and, you know, a sense of home and a place that feels safe to me no matter what. And he doesn't care how I do in races at all. So, oh, there's so many people I could go on and on, but those are a few that come to mind. And I, I may think of someone else that I'm like, duh, I forgot. I have to give a shout out later. <laughs> um, You talked about with summer training, just kind of like focusing less, less on perfect ski training this year. And it seems like also kind of including more like outdoor adventures that are maybe like, yes, they also improve your fitness, but they're more kind of about filling like your happy cup, right? And just like having mm-hmm. an outside adventure. Are there any like big bucket list adventure goals that you, whether it's like this summer or just like things that you're scheming about of like, oh man, someday I really want to do that. Oh my gosh, so many. Um, I, the first one that comes to mind is I really want to climb an alley up in Alaska uh, tallest mountain in North America. That will not be this year because it, I need to acquire a lot more gear and money to pay for it. <laughs> um, but one day that will definitely happen. I think, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm going to start learning more about whitewater kayaking this year, which I'm stoked about picking up a new sport. I hope to learn how to paraglide within the next year and do a course. And I think, um, I'm also working on checking off every mount, every prominent peak in Alaska in the Chugach Front Range. So there's there's a list of I don't even know a hundred twenty maybe mountains uh, peaks in the in the Chugach. So I've already started picking away at that list. So that's gonna be a goal that I keep working toward for sure. How many are you at now? Uh, I think I'm I'm at like thirty or. 35 maybe not I got a long way to go I need to develop some solid scrambling and mountaineering rope skills before I tackle some of those ones but I think Scott Patterson is pretty dang close so I'll have to tap into his knowledge (laughs) did you do any of the like the uh 14ers in Colorado like was that when you were still living here was that part of anything like a goal for you I I really wish that it had been more of one. I've only summited two. Okay. And uh, I think, yeah, if I'm if I end up back in Colorado for a long time in any time of my life, that will definitely be on the bucket list. I just love climbing mountains. It's so fun. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'll There's... be there with me. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Have you done four pass loop? No, that's you've done that too. I, that, that's definitely on the bucket list. Well, indeed, I'll yeah. start running, and if you're back this summer, we can we can do that. Okay. <laughs> done. Count um, <laughs> awesome. Anything else that you want to share? I don't. I don't think so. Yeah. Just thank you. Yeah. Thanks for always, always uh, 
talking to all of us about some important things and getting some behind the scenes realness out of all of us athletes. So thanks. And thanks to everyone for believing in us and supporting us and go USA. <laughs>